That was Angelique Kidjo's cover of Houses in Motion by Talking Heads. It's a banger. Sure is. <laughs> yeah, she was actually one of the last concerts I got to see before, you know. Oh, nice. How was it? It was great, yeah. Good, sounds like uh, it would be. She, she, she really moved the crowd. Yeah, the last concert I saw was the Rhiannon Giddens show that you and I went to. Okay, well, let's get started. Let's get started. Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Rhyme minisodes where we crawl through various artist compilations song by song. And now it is roll call time. I'm Amanda Rogers. I'm Rich Bennell. And I'm Chris Willie Williams. And we are doing something strange and unusual this time around. Um, we have put together a list of various popular songs from the African continent. And the way we came about this is, you know, kind of fun and unusual. We first started thinking about doing this when we got an email to our official Discord and Rhyme account, discordpod at gmail.com, from my cousin Larry, and any of you who make a perfect stranger's joke is getting a wet willy. <laughs> well, Phil already did in the last episode. He couldn't resist. Oh, God. Okay. Well, remind me to give him a wet willy next time I see him. I will. Because of cousin Larry Appleton? You too. <laughs> So Larry has lived and worked in various African nations since about 1983 in various official capacities, and he just loves the music scene there. He's a big music fan. So he asked if we'd be interested in talking about some African artists. We said, hell yeah, we would. So Larry very kindly put together a list of artists and songs for us, and a couple of my co-hosts have added ones that they especially like as well. So this is our latest comp series, The Africa Playlist, because we are extremely creative people and good at titles. I used to write headlines. <laughs> so before we get started, we're going to put this extremely important disclaimer up front, which is that while we all really appreciate this music quite a lot, there's just no getting around the fact that we are white North American dipshits. And we're, we're doing our very best here, but these are styles of music that most of us just aren't really that familiar with. But that's what makes it fun. And we hope our audience enjoys listening to some songs that are completely different from what we typically cover. Plus, there's a lot more common ground here than you might expect, as I've found is generally the case when cultures collide. And I have a note about the scope of this compilation, because, uh, yeah, yeah, we gave this series the generic name The Africa Playlist because we felt ill-equipped to come up with a more specific name. Uh, mm -hmm. But Africa is an incredibly geographically and culturally diverse continent and mm -hmm. absolutely enormous to boot. Uh, there's that map that goes around uh, on, on Twitter sometimes that shows that you can fit the U.S., China, and India into its borders and still have room for, like, half of Europe. So Yeah. You can't <laughs> uh, just say Africa and have it mean one thing. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. not possible. <laughs> uh, yeah. And as a as a side result of that, the bulk of this playlist actually comes from West Africa, which is where Larry has spent the most time. So that's where most yeah. of his recommendations just naturally come from. Mm -hmm. uh, but if people are into this series, there's a good chance we'll revisit it in the future and try to pick up where we left off. Yeah. Try to pick some other African nations. But yeah, we want we do want to emphasize that we're not pulling a Martina Big here, pretending to be something we're not. Mm -hmm. We're not in any way authorities on this stuff. Rather, we're flagrant novices trying to figure out how to talk about unfamiliar but very enjoyable music through our own frames of reference. We are also not Paul Simon violating a boycott. Oh boy! <laughs> and there will be no instances of that fucking Toto song or the Weezer cover. <laughs> And we unfortunately yeah. do not have Ladysmith Black Mambazo as our special guests. <laughs> so now that we've gotten all those disclaimers out of the way about how we're lame. <laughs> <laughs> all 
right, then let's get started. Track number one on this list is by Gigi, and the song is called Good Fella. Billboard information for you on this series. But this <laughs> song and the next both come from Gigi's self-titled album that was released in 2001. Gigi Shababao, whose name I have most likely mispronounced, I'm very sorry, uh, was born in northwestern Ethiopia in 1974 to a coffee farming family. Grew up singing in the Ethiopian church, which she said at one point usually isn't allowed for women, but a local priest taught her the songs. Then moved to Nairobi as an adult, where she performed in an ensemble of East African expats. Then back to Ethiopia to Addis Ababa, where she was cast in a theater production that told the story of Solomon and Sheba, which sounds really cool. And then after touring with this production, she was invited to perform at a world music festival in Paris. And sometime after that, moved to San Francisco. She's been just everywhere. Uh, She released some music on her own in California that was intended for local Ethiopian expats and eventually attracted the attention of producer Chris Blackwell, who was the founder of Island Records back in the 60s. Uh, Gigi's self-titled album was released through Palm Records in 2001 and features several American jazz musicians as her backing band, including Herbie Hancock and a whole bunch of others that I guess are famous, but I am really ignorant about jazz and I didn't recognize any of the other names. (laughs) So screw them. We're not here to talk about them anyway. Who cares? Right. (laughs) But the second I heard this for the first time, I thought, oh, Rich Bunnell is going to love this. I do. (laughs) And I love it, I like the whole album. I haven't listened to the whole album, but I really need to because this song is my favorite on this whole playlist. I absolutely love it. It's on Spotify. It's so interesting. I think her voice is fantastic. Um, she sings mostly in Amharic, which is the language uh, is that's spoken in Ethiopia. It's related to Arabic and Hebrew, I believe. And it's it's I, one I of several I've... languages spoken in Ethiopia. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I should not say <laughs> there was just one because obviously there's a lot more than that. And I don't think I had ever heard that language out loud before, and it sounds so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, her voice reminded me just a smidgen of Lorena McKennett, but in a completely different context, and I loved it. I think this song is fantastic. I guess we'll get to Lorena McKennett if we get back to Pure Moods eventually. Right. <laughs> she, she's on Pure Moods, too. I believe uh, that. Yeah, about the lyrics. I did a rough Google Translate on these lyrics. Very rough. And this song appears to be about banging. Aren't they so, all? <laughs> that's my report about the lyrics. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and regarding the jazz musicians on this album, I want to bring up the question of uh, authenticity or quote unquote authenticity because uh, Gigi, she's easily the most internationally known Ethiopian musician, like by far. And mm-hmm. this album, 
it, it took a lot of crap in Ethiopia for all of the guest musicians and like what was seen as a break from traditional Ethiopian pop music. I was reading that too. Like Larry told me he was living in Ethiopia when this came out and he said it made a big sensation. But from what I was reading, like for contemporary reviews, there were a lot of people who were upset that she had combined mm-hmm. traditional Ethiopian sounds with all this other all these other elements. Well, so what's interesting about like traditional Ethiopian music uh, is that from 1974 to 1991, which included Gigi's youth, um, Ethiopia was under the control of the Soviet-backed Derg regime, and they imposed harsh curfews that like destroyed the country's club and live music scene. So, like for a long time, music in Ethiopia was dominated by synthesizers and drum machines, and there was like de facto no such thing as a producer or an arranger. So, hmm. culture cultural memory being what it is. That's the only homegrown style of music a lot of native Ethiopians were familiar with in 2001. And when this album came out, and it raised some eyebrows. So I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with this song. <laughs> one, one thing that's interesting to me is that the timbers of all the instruments are totally in the wheelhouse of Bill Laswell, who produced this record. And is also Gigi's husband. Al- yeah. Yep, I was... Oh, I'm sorry. ...going to get there, <laughs> I'm but... Sorry. I suppose the cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Anyway, uh, Bill Laswell produced this record. His own music that I've heard tends toward what I guess I'd dub ambient dub funk. Not a lot of energy, but a lot of grooves. And the sounds within Goodfella remind me a lot of the brilliantly understated and sexy Golden Palomino's album, This Is How It Feels, which Laswell co-wrote and played bass on. But then you got Gigi's voice here, confidently pumping out a melody that definitively and proudly plants the song's flag in Gigi's homeland, not something that's trying to disguise itself as Western pop. And then, as Amanda intimated... (laughs) I'm sorry. Blatantly intimated, Gigi and Laswell wound up getting married after he produced this album, so I guess they listened to me that they're fairly compatible. (laughs) Yeah, and as always, uh, I'm I'm probably generalizing a lot when I talk about like the the cultural context. So if you have if any listeners have more insight on Ethiopian music and culture, we're always open to feedback at discordpod at gmail dot com. Oh, please, like, please. Yeah, absolutely. If you know these songs, if you're familiar with these cultures and these musical traditions, by all means, tell us about them. We're dying to hear. I will say, I lived in Oakland for a while, and there's like a huge. Uh, Ethiopian population there, and so I, I, I've had a lot of Ethiopian food, and actually, I actually know how to cook injera now because you can't buy it in Michigan, so I learned how to cook it. Very impressive. Yeah, it's my favorite food. Really, I don't know that I've ever had Ethiopian food. What's I don't the? Think I have either. What's the dish that you said is your favorite? Well, it's my favorite type of food. It's because it, it's a. Basically, every restaurant will have the same like seven or eight dishes, and they come in a big plate. Uh, and then you eat it with a spongy sour bread called injera that is an acquired taste, but once you acquire it, it's so divine. All right. So while Rich goes off to eat some Ethiopian food, let's move on to the second track on this list, which is also by Gigi. And this one's called Adwa. I have, in fact, ordered Ethiopian takeout twice since getting to New Haven. And that was like two hours ago, right? Two weeks, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
This is on the same album as the previous track and is about the Battle of Ottawa, which I don't think we learned about in school because there's a lot of wars that happened in the world and we can only learn about so many of them. But this battle happened on March 1st, 1896, and is very complicated, as most battles and wars are. But the basics are that Italy tried to conquer Ethiopia. Ethiopia said, no, thank you, and demolished the Italian army. This is an extremely important event in Ethiopian Ethiopian history, and they're very proud, rightfully, of the fact that they were never conquered by any European powers during the scramble for Africa. It was just them and Liberia. March 1st is still a public holiday in Ethiopia, and there are official celebrations all over the country. And then Italy actually tried it again in 1936 and did succeed in occupying the country for a while, but they were thrown back out after World War II. As for the song itself, this is another really, really fantastic one. I think the production is just perfect for this. Um, I don't understand any of the lyrics because I don't speak Amharic, but knowing that it's about a battle makes a lot of sense because it's just very desolate. Like, it sounds like she's standing alone in the middle of an empty field surrounded by shrapnel and whatnot. And there's just that real subtle kind of rolling percussion sound that could be either cannon or thunder. And it's it's a really, really interesting detail. And I think the atmosphere of the song is just amazing. Yeah, I love this one, too. I I had to go back and double check that we hadn't already. This is comped this song on one of our episodes about the pure moods compilation because it totally would have fit in yeah, there it's a pure mood if there ever was one we're gonna have to get back to pure moods huh yeah <laughs> Gigi's voice is beautiful but i love how she ultimately just sort of lets it melt away allowing the saxophone and other droning noises to carry the song a couple minutes to the end Solely between this and Goodfella, Gigi sort of strikes me as an african counterpart to ryuichi sakamoto the Japanese musician who's recorded plenty of satisfying pop, both solo and with Yellow Magic Orchestra, but who can also pivot to deliver mind-blowing atmospheric pieces. That's a good comparison. Thanks. So the breadth of talent on display from Gigi in just these two songs is pretty remarkable, and it makes me excited to at least check out the rest of this album. And actually, the album Illuminated Audio, which is... Laswell's ambient dub remix of this record. They're married. Nuh-uh. Afraid so. (laughs) That is brand new information. (laughs) Well, first off, colonialism is the worst thing that has ever happened to human civilization. And if you think it's over, look up the phrase Africa land grab on Google image search and look at the maps that come up. End liberal screed for now. (laughs) As for Adwa, I found a translation of one section of the song from the Amharic that, uh, that really drives home the theme of the song. Let Adwa speak up, let my country speak up, how I stand before you today. Day by day, I live in pride, dignity, happiness, love. 
in triumph, I live day by day. Hmm. I love that. And it's that how I stand before you today that really drives home the theme. Like, Adwa isn't just a historical victory. It's a constant part of Ethiopian cultural memory. Mm-hmm. And it, it it bears vastly different meanings for different people, is what I learned. Like, depending on who you ask, it's the moment that affirmed Ethiopia's independence and national identity. It's a symbol of pan-Africanism that unites the black diaspora. And it's a victory that allowed Emperor Melanik II to continue his empire's violent southward expansion. So... Yeah, uh, but no matter how you interpret it, it's the reason there's an Ethiopia today. So it's hugely important. I love that Ethiopia wasn't conquered during the scramble for Africa because it is just al- mm-hmm. an almost unimaginably old country. Like It's mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's been around for about as long as human civilization. And it's fabulous that it's just been Ethiopia that whole time. And obviously the borders and culture have changed all that time because of course it would. Mm-hmm. But still, it's really old and... Very independent. Well, I think it's interesting that it was an empire itself yeah. that was trying to be conquered by a by a larger empire. And yeah, history is complicated. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, sto- <laughs> the story of this battle is pretty incredible, and I'm not going to go through it in detail. There's just too much, and I don't know all of it. Uh, and there aren't any movies about it because it doesn't involve Winston Churchill in any way. Uh, <laughs> but there's a documentary from 1999 that um, I haven't been able to find on any streaming services, but it exists. Uh, there's also a book from 2011 by Raymond Jonas. Surely somebody could come up with a way to make a movie of this starring Tom Wilkinson. <laughs> Do you know the names of the the documentary or the book, Rich? Let me look it up real quick. Uh, the documentary is called Adwa and African Victory, and the book is called The Battle of Adwa, African Victory in the Age of Empire. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sounds really interesting. And that's the Battle of Adwa. All right. Well, now that we have thoroughly covered that era of history, and uh, we did not thoroughly cover that, go go watch the documentary. The next track is by Hamza Eldin, Your Love is Ever Young. ever young is 18 minutes long so i'm just gonna let it run under the conversation from here on out uh so the song comes from hamza ildin's 1978 album eclipse and i've got a rock and roll story for y'all as a sort of gateway uh so that same year ldn opened for the grateful dead for a series of concerts staged in front of the pyramids of giza during a lunar eclipse because that's the kind of idea you get when you're the grateful dead and you know all the things that go along with that 
So according to Phil Lesh, the band felt, quote, drawn to power that's been preserved from the ancient world, and there was definitely, quote, some kind of mojo about the pyramids. <laughs> Whatever that's supposed to mean, the concert was visually spectacular, but the Dead's performance was a disaster, according to our own Phil Maddox, and every other Deadhead, apparently. <laughs> Uh, because the band was stressed out by this undertaking and were bad at performing under pressure. But it looked cool. <laughs> it's, there's a DVD of it, apparently. Hey, that's what counts. If only they had some sort of way to relax. <laughs> <laughs> they were so bad at that, famously. Yeah. Ken Kesey was there, so yeah, just fill in the blanks. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that answers all the questions. Hamza Eldin apparently did great, though, which brings us to him. Just kidding, I'm going to talk about Egyptian geography first. We talked about the scramble for Africa in the last song, and something that's critical to remember is that many present-day African political boundaries were drawn by the colonizers, both arbitrarily and violently. So, Britain drew up Egypt's boundaries in 1899, and as a result, the two artists we're talking about today are both from Egypt, but the traditions they draw from are vastly different. So, Hamza el-Din is from southern Egypt, specifically the village of Tashka in the region of Nubia, near the Sudanese border. Uh, and so, while studying engineering in Cairo, he learned that the government was planning to build the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River, uh, which would completely flood and submerge his home village. And, and so, for three years, he wandered his homeland, literally riding a donkey, collecting traditional music in an effort to educate and preserve it. I love that. I mean, I hate that his yeah. village was obliterated, but I love what he did. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's uh, and Nubia is where like human civilization is said to have begun. So yeah, yeah. and that's like what Alan Lomax did in the U.S. Yeah, I thought of that too. <laughs> Much less of a bully though. Yeah, Alan Lomax was an <laughs> asshole. He really was. So Hamza El Din's music is often called a fusion of Arabic and Nubian sounds, and I don't have the know-how to describe that in terms of theory, uh, but broadly it means that he took the musical traditions he learned during his travels in Nubia but played it on traditional Arabic instruments, including the oud, which is a string instrument that's similar to a lute, and the tar, a single-headed drum struck with one hand. So he studied in Rome before moving to the U.S. and performing at the Newport Folk Festival in 1964, where Dylan went electric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how us ruddy <laughs> Westerners know about him. So his 1971 album Escalade, open parentheses, The Water Wheel, close parentheses, came out on None Such Records as part of their Explorer series, and the album helped popularize the concept of world music. Because as Americans know from world history class, there are three regions, the United States, <laughs> Europe, and world. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and Canada is part of Europe. Also sounds <laughs> about right. Eldin actually con- continued his studies in Japan for several years before eventually settling in Oakland, California. Woo! He passed away in 2006 in Berkeley, and I was probably just a few miles away playing Guitar Hero, which does not have any oud songs. <laughs> Japan, really? What an interesting combination of influences. Yeah, he was studying string instruments that were similar to the oud. He, he, he did a lot of like conservatory work in his life. He's <laughs> such an interesting dude. That's very cool. But what do you all think? I've been talking forever. Well, it seems the prerequisites to perform at the Newport Folk Festival have been relaxed somewhat since Aldean's day, as I possess a DVD of the reunited Pixies headlining the event with acoustic guitars (laughs) and looking none too pleased about those circumstances. What? It's terrible. Anywho. I didn't know it was still a thing. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess brands never so, die. Well, it, it, if yeah. the Pixies were there, I guess it isn't really. <laughs> Anyhow, carry on. Anywho, I do like this song, but it's not as resounding a success as Gigi's Adwa. Adwa could go on for a fortnight and I'd still be into it. 
while over 18 and a half minutes, this one starts to feel a bit are-we-there-yet-ish from time to time, but it maintains a very likable, convivial vibe throughout. And it's very impressive that L. Dean apparently played all the instruments on this song himself. Mm -hmm. It can't have been easy to keep track of all those tempo changes and what frankly sounds like inspired, unrehearsed jamming on his oud. Not the telepathic slaves from Doctor Who. I think this is all very carefully planned out. He, he, he created his own system of notation for this music. Hmm. Really? Yeah, what a guy. That's really neat. This is very long. <laughs> yeah, we picked the longest song on Eclipse by far, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, the length is not inherently a problem for me. Like, I would happily listen to Pink Floyd play Careful With That Axe Eugene for at least this long. Uh, but for this one, I don't know. I kind of feel like it could make its point in about six or seven minutes. But then again, so could Careful With That X, Eugene. So my point does not stand at all. <laughs> I like it. I really do. But I think Will makes a good point about it maybe stretching on a little longer than it needs to. But on the other hand, it sounds cool the whole time. And he's such an incredible musician that that's just a pleasure to listen to. Somebody who's so good at what he's doing just clearly enjoying himself right Mm -hmm. and i like the oud i always have that is a cool instrument that's all i got if you're ready to move on yeah i keep forgetting i'm moderating this i'm sorry (laughs) no problem i have a broken toe oh (laughs) 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 i'm gonna use that as an excuse for absolutely everything for as long as i can next song on the list is by amar diab and the song is called Nur El Ayan. comes from the 1996 album of the same name by Amr Diab, whose popularity across the Mediterranean is such that he has earned the nickname Al-Hadaba, or The Unbeatable. So this song was a huge international success in countries including Pakistan, India, Brazil, Iran, Argentina, Chile, France, and South Africa, and a remix lit up dance floors across Europe. Meanwhile, in America, it was used in an episode of Malcolm in the Middle to demonstrate that Hal and Dewey were inside a convenience store. (gasps) No! Yep. <laughs> Amr Diab hails from Port Said, which was which is a as you can tell a port town established to handle traffic from the brand spanking new Suez Canal, which was built very peacefully with everyone's permission, right? 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was no controversy involved in nationalizing it either. No. So this made it a key strategic and trading port and one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world at the time. And the city carries enormous importance as kind of a symbol of modern Egypt. Uh, so like Hamza Eldin, Diab's music can be called a fusion of sorts, but instead of preserving a history in danger of being lost, uh, Diab draws from the music of other Mediterranean countries, and his style is actually known as the Mediterranean sound. I think he came up with it, <laughs> but don't quote me on that. Uh, and so you can especially hear that on Nor El Ain, where the rhythm, instrumentation, and harmonic progression are all reminiscent of Spanish flamenco music, uh, despite the central melody being distinctly Arabic. And I am brushing way up against the limits of my music theory knowledge, so I'm just going to say I really like this song and hand it over to the two of you. <laughs> yeah, I like this one a lot. It's a really interesting combination of Mediterranean styles, and that's that's a sound that I've always really, really enjoyed. And mm -hmm. I liked your point that the melody is more traditionally Arabic because it does sound like... You know, like in a hack job movie when there's an establishing shot of a desert with just a solo voice singing in Arabic to show you that you're in some mm -hmm. sort of foreign country, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what the the vocal and the melody sound like. But the instrumental accompaniment reminds me of something you might hear like at a Paris street cafe. Mm -hmm. And it's such a cool combination to me. I mean, not that I really know what even Parisian street music sounds like. I've never been to Paris, but that was what it reminded me of. And I like it a lot. Yeah, I like the accordion too. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't want to pretend that I came up with this. I, I found this analysis on a paper on Google Scholar by Michael Frischkopf called Some Meanings of the Spanish Tinge in Contemporary Egyptian Music, just to oh. cite my sources. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the song rules. I love it. Yeah. It doesn't take much to make me happy when there's an accordion involved. Yeah. And indeed, this song makes me happy, even if I don't have much to say about it beyond, yay, accordion! I like a good accordion. But yeah, Amr Diab is huge. I listened to the entire album for this one, and uh, I it's it's entertaining the whole way through, but uh, tons of his stuff is on Spotify, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually put together a playlist on Spotify of all these songs that I will post on our social media, so you guys can hear these whole tracks if you're interested, and I really recommend that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, next up on this list is Alpha Blondie with the song Brigadier Sabari. <laughs> Stage name of Kone Sedu, a reggae star from the Ivory Coast. I guess he's trying to demote Debbie Harry. <laughs> he was born in 1953 and spent a large chunk of time finding himself. 
For a while, he expected that his fate was to become an English teacher. But a trip to the United States made him realize that reggae was his... Uh, his fate, his path. No, Will, you have you have it written, reggae was his segue to success, <laughs> and I'm not going to let you not say that. Thanks, Rich. All right, I'll, I'll redo it. For a while, he expected that his fate was to become an English teacher, but a trip to the United States made him realize that reggae was his segue to success. <laughs> no, I couldn't possibly accept this trophy for best pun of all time, though I am honored... <laughs> <laughs> you might associate reggae pretty strongly with Jamaica rather than Africa, but according to Alpha, his particular style is the result of inbreeding between soul music, R&B, jazz, and traditional African folklore. And yes, he did use that word. This 1982 track is the song that first put Alpha on the map, and if it were in English, it could sadly be a timely anthem for the United States today. It's a justifiably resentful recounting of the countless abuses of power by the police in the Ivory Coast city of Abidjan. At some point, Alpha apparently had been ensnared by the police in a practice that translates to punch operation or operation strike with fist, in which cops would invade entire neighborhoods for absolutely no reason, arresting and detaining the residents until those people could provide evidence that they were innocent of whatever trumped-up charges they were being held on. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, it was unintentional, but... <laughs> <laughs> the song contains lyrics that translate to things like, Pardon, Brigadier, I said, Ouch, 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 ouch! And, It's not good to walk at night if your papers are not complete. Ooh. Alpha wanted to tell his story and make the world aware of what these hateful bastards were doing, and he felt that documenting it in song was his last best option. And evidently it resonated with the Abidjan populace, because Alpha's career really took off after this. And hopefully its success sufficiently shamed the Abidjan authorities to at least curb the worst of their routine misconduct. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. Yeah, I am horribly underinformed in reggae and all of its like related genres, so I don't I, I don't know whether the, I like the pew pews at the beginning of the song. I love I, that too. Yeah, I, I don't know whether they're unique to this song or like a trope of the genre in general. But but the first thing it made me think of was uh, uh, was Ivan meets GI Joe from the Clash's Sandinista album, uh, which is an album overflowing with reggae experiments, like way overflowing. <laughs> I think the the pew pews might. And I'm I'm no expert on reggae either, but that might be more of coming from the dub mm -hmm. tradition, mm -hmm. where That's what they I they take reggae and add whatever odd noises they like on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to preface this by saying that I am also pretty ignorant of reggae, mostly deliberately because I just don't like it all that much, but. So I'm kind of talking out of my ass here, but it does make a little bit of sense to me that it would cross over into Africa, at least somewhat, given its association with the, the Rastafarians, mm -hmm. who's, I don't, I know very little about them, only that they have this connection to Haile Selassie, who of course is African. And so, you know, it all just kind of cross-pollinates. And actually, uh, the one time I've been to Africa, my husband and I went to Tanzania in 2009. That's actually the last place I saw Larry. I had dinner with him in Dar es Salaam. Where my aunt was living in Zanzibar at that time, there was a little commune of Rastas living just right up the road from her. So we would walk through a giant cloud of pot smoke on our way to the beach every day. 
So I really, I, I couldn't say how widespread Rastafarianism and reggae music are throughout the whole continent because I, it would be ridiculous to speculate on that when I have no idea what I'm talking about. It didn't seem weird to me mm-hmm. that those sounds got combined. So the Halasselassie question uh, actually does come up in an interview I found with uh, with Alpha Blondie. They asked yeah? if the Rastafarians in the Ivory Coast or in Africa also worshipped him as a god, as the mm-hmm. Rastafarians in Jamaica did, and he he said no. That's one of the major differences. Uh, mm. With with it's it's just more like the general culture that they ported over. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But yeah, I, I guess we should contextualize that a little bit. Like Halasselassie. Uh, uh, who many of our fans might know from the Ween song, Mutilated Lips, <laughs> because they'd name drop him. Uh, he was the emperor of uh, of Ethiopia yeah. for like something like 50 to 60 years. And yeah, the the Rastafarian religion treats him as a god. I do like this song a lot, though. Um, like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of reggae, but this isn't like full on in your face reggae music. <laughs> it's got enough combination with other sounds that I do enjoy that this isn't my favorite one on this list, but I, I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. The next up is our last song on this episode and another Alpha Blondie track called Cocody Rock. Rocky, rocker, rocky, rocker from Zion, Golly, do I ever hate this one. (laughs) The title track from Alpha's second record, released in 84. If a disgruntled and ennui-stricken composer for a hacky three-camera sitcom was assigned to write an original reggae song to accompany a scene set in a frat house, this would be the result. Alpha stole Bob Marley's backing band for this track, which is about having good times at an affluent commune-slash-mansion-clogged suburb named Cocody. So very relatable. It's an insipid bounce house of a song, so naturally it's been stuck in my head for like a week. As we've heard, Alpha isn't afraid to get political and rabble-rousy in his songs. His third album is called Apartheid is Nazism, for pity's sake. Yeah. So the Cocody Rock is kind of like Malcolm X delivering an oration called My Quasi Kitty. <laughs> So I don't particularly like this song either, but I actually do find it surprisingly relatable, but they're not to my own personal lived experience. But when I found out that this was about like the upscale part of town, I assumed that coming from a political artist like Alpha Blondie, yeah, that it had to be class commentary. Uh, But instead, it just seems to be a sincere statement about music as the connection between Jamaica and Africa uh, and how music can bring us together. And that's cheesy, but I'll take anything in 2020, honestly. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I noticed is that this song is basically the exact thematic opposite of Weird Al's Buy Me a Condo, uh, which is a whaler style <laughs> reggae song about a native Jamaican who moves to the US and becomes a yuppie. I gonna buy me a condo, never have to 
never not thinking about Weird Al, are you? <laughs> Look, I got all that book learning in in the early part of the episode. Now I get to do my Weird Al. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like this one either. But speaking of the Wailers, the first, like, second and a half of this song, every single time I hear it, I think it's going to be Three Little Birds. It sounds almost identical. And it makes me sad when it is not Three Little Birds, because I love that one. Really don't like this one at all. And... I think the biggest offender actually is the horns. Something about the way they're recorded is so shiny and sterile. You'd think Mutt Lang was in charge of them. And it does not work and for I me. And I want. <laughs> and you know, I'm a major Mutt Lang apologist, but yeah, this I, I'm really sorry, Larry. This one doesn't work for me. Yeah, I will say I actually have like a genuine desire to get into to to get into reggae, rock steady, dub, ska, like just all those related genres. But I just personally don't know the way in and Alpha Blondie doesn't seem to be it. Well, my mom once sent me a CD called Dub Side of the Moon, which is exactly what you think oh, it is. I, I had that. I got that for my Did dad. Did you really? Well, I got that for my dad, and he just kind of looked at it uh, and just put it away. Yeah, my mom thought it was amazing. I listened to it once and was completely baffled, and I think I gave it away. <laughs> once again, if any listeners have any like recommendations in that regard, send them to discordpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at discordpod. We'd, we'd love to hear them. Yeah. And actual original music of this style would probably be better than, say, a dub re-recording of Pink Floyd, because that just didn't work for me at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have we wound up this chunk of songs? Yeah. I think so. That was fun, especially watching Will listen to Kokodi Rock. Yeah, that was really entertaining for me, too. <laughs> yeah. Listeners can't see all the veins in my forehead pulsing, but Rich and Amanda got to. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So many thanks to my cousin Larry for starting us on this project. I hope we have done your favorite songs justice, and we're all really sorry that we didn't like Cocody Rock. Well, I am anyway. I don't know about Will. I'd like to personally thank cousin Larry for sending these songs to us all the way from Mipos, where he lives. That is two wet willies. <laughs> <laughs> One more strike and you're getting a noogie. Roll credits. What do you call this record? This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. This is. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, a subsidiary of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. You can hear back episodes of this series and our regular album-focused episodes at discordpod.com, and you can also subscribe to Discord and Rhyme on your podcast app of choice. The opening theme music for this series is Houses in Motion, performed by Angelique Kidjo. The closing theme is performed by Kenneth Crayley and based on This Is Pop by XTC, with new lyrics by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors, and you can hear their music and Kenneth's on bandcamp.com. Editing and production is by Rich Bennell, We'll be back with another episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, be ever wonderful.